you're tuned in to the Neo Academy podcast. My name's Mark and welcome to another episode of Neo Ideas, weekly insights from the world of education. Building a culture of well-being in remote teams. We always start with letters, so let's switch up and start with numbers. One. Of all the employees that worked from home during the pandemic, 27% have stayed fully online. Two, 59% of remote teams work between two to five time zones. Three, remote job posts on LinkedIn more than doubled between 2020 and 2021 from 6% to 14%. Four, more than two-thirds of workers feel they are as productive or more productive in working from home, WFH. We could go on, but we suspect you know as well as we do that remote working is not going anywhere anytime soon. The COVID-19 pandemic accelerated a trend that was already in motion. Digital infrastructure means working from home is increasingly accessible, so being more present for family and avoiding the drudgery of the commute is a clear advantage. Companies being able to hire from a wider pool of talent, not limited by geography, is also a huge competitive advantage for the more forward-thinking organizations, at least. The climate science is also pretty clear. A study by the European Commission found that Quote, non-residential buildings are on average 40% more energy intensive than residential buildings, end quote. It's for this reason that working from home is generally held to be more energy efficient than working from the office, though a number of other factors can affect this, like the energy efficiency of the home, uh, the method and distance of the commute to the office, etc. In general, however, office environments use a lot of energy to run and most of that energy ain't coming from low carbon sources unfortunately so that's where we're going and it's all good isn't it but wait what might we lose by working remotely what about the isolation the disconnection the resulting mental health risks what about people struggling to balance personal and professional lives in a work from home scenario and end up struggling in both well-being and remote work. Zooming in on education in particular, it's hard to work out how things really lie. Many of the studies done on how education professionals are coping with remote work have the backdrop of a global pandemic to contextualize them. And so it's gonna take some time to see the true picture of just how remote workers are coping. That said, some things are pretty clear. A YouGov survey in 2021 found that the top five issues in remote working were not being able to unplug, difficulties with communication, loneliness, distractions at home, and staying motivated. While loneliness might be somewhat alleviated by a post-pandemic return to socializing for some, the other issues seem to transcend the lockdown period and they are all so relatable for many of us. How can you unplug when you work and relax in the same physical space or even in the same room? Where can the mind find a partition between these two phases of the day and how can you truly disconnect? If you've managed to avoid technology beyond emails and WhatsApp, congratulations on that, by the way, communication and remote working can certainly be stressful as a steep learning curve. On the tech side, getting invites to meetings through Teams automatically added to your Outlook calendar in a different time zone, but 
your laptop microphone's not that great. So you take it on the phone, but then you've got to download the app and then someone calls you halfway through your sales pitch. Not good. And then there's all the etiquette of online meetings and the total absence of the visual cues for turn-taking and interrupting. Distractions? Oh yes. How easy it is to find yourself making another cup of tea or chatting with the delivery driver or family who don't quite get that working at home is not the same as being home and interrupt you in mid-flow. Motivation is really hard in the midst of all this and that leads naturally to anxiety and yet more stress. It's far from easy. We've already passed on as much insight as we can on how to actually tackle these issues as an employee in our article, Working From Home, Five Ways to Be Productive. But what about the responsibilities of the employer? Out of the social circle of the office or the teacher's room and away from the incidental and proximal interactions with colleagues, yep, you got to schedule those now, how can institutions and organisations actually help to build and sustain a culture of well-being among their remote workers? Supporting well-being in your remote team. Tip number one, model it from the top. This is critical. Leadership is what really sets a culture and you can say all you want about well-being, but if the person in charge is not walking the talk, it falls flat. Remember that shifting to this way of working is something that a lot of people find difficult and they need to know that it's okay. Talk about it, be flexible, encourage rest, share experiences and insights. If your employees feel like they're trusted and don't have to be on every second of the day, then that feeling will begin to pervade through the team. Don't just say it, model it and give it time for others to feel they can do the same. The tone you set will be the thing that makes it all work. Tip two, be flexible. Starting at 9am and finishing at 5? What about the early risers that want to do a burst of work at 6am and take a long midday break before doing some low cognitive load stuff in the late afternoon? Instead of a hard and fast sort of working schedule, focus more on shared expectation of what needs done each week or month and let people manage the time in a way that suits them. Discuss expectations, times to keep free for possible meetings, but leave things as open as you can. Ultimately, if a goal is achieved, who cares if it was done at 6am or 6pm? Not us, that's for sure. Micromanaging your team never ends well, and this only amplifies in the work from home scenario. Focus on deliverables, not how many hours people spend at their laptops, because when has that ever had a causative relationship with productivity? Try to schedule meetings with notice and not just expect someone to be in front of their laptop all times. The presenteeism culture is just not going to work here. The idea that someone has to be there at all times and they're somehow magically proving themselves to be an asset like that. Your growth hacker is out hacking at the hedgerow in the garden at two o'clock in the afternoon. Good. They're getting a bit of sun, unless they live in Scotland. And when they do come back to the desk, they'll likely be in a better frame of mind. Tip three, support varied and inclusive interactions. The only time you see your colleagues is in the Zoom mosaic at the weekly meeting. Not cool. Back in the physical space, you might have attended that same weekly meeting, yes, but remember the chat before and after. That was the best bit. The small talk, the jokes, pulling one person aside for a quick recount of how unspeakably good your weekend was, all of it. 
Trying that on Zoom reminds us of those fake fires that people put on their TV screens to make the room look cozy. The social stuff has to be given space, encouraged, ring-fenced. A morning chat just because. Virtual coffee meetings might sound like a bit of a stretch, but they can really help to create a space where colleagues might actually share how they're feeling and, and hear how others are doing. Or just talk about that unspeakably good weekend with someone. It matters. What about the hybrid teams? When there's a group in the workplace and others at home, it's easy for the latter to feel left out. Think about the team always as a whole. Include them in training, meetings, catch-ups. Be conscious of this. Make time for it. Even if it's just a quick message or a five-minute call to ask for feedback on an idea um, someone put to you today because isolation is a real issue and it can build quickly without such interventions. You can go further, of course, virtual lunch, remote bingo, but the basic foundations of personal and social interactions should first be in place. Tip four, a culture is more than just giving mental health days. Mental health days are a good thing, and if they didn't exist, they would still happen under the guise of feeling sick. Creating an environment where your team don't feel they can bow out early one day or take a day off just because they can't cope, that serves nobody. But read that last bit again. People ask for a mental health day often as a reaction to what's going on. They may have reached a crisis point, and it may well be a precursor to full burnout or worsening long-term health mental issues. With this in mind, it's important to see mental health days as simply a resource that can be made available, but it's not a cure. There's a Forbes article that puts it very well, but the crux of it is that the effect of a day disappears quickly, and we haven't addressed why the time off was needed in the first place. So we're back to square one. Access to support, a culture of communication, flexibility, helping others to feel seen, all of this is the backbone of a culture that prioritizes well-being and there's no quick fix. Be intentional, show you care, share how you're feeling with others. Yes, the boss can be vulnerable. It is a strength. And remember to take time for yourself too. You're equally deserving of that time and space. We don't have all the answers, but this is the approach that's worked well for us. Neo Academy is a fully remote team and we've got our ups and downs too. We've also worked with many clients and caught glimpses of their culture and their dynamics. So we've got a picture of what's out there. We'd love to hear more from you about your own experiences and insights to add to this picture. So please do reach out and tell us if you've got something that we can share with others. And that's how we succeed together.